It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email, the stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that? All you need to do is text the word SHOW to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 33777. Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Delighted to have you with me this open line Friday, 877-973-7425 is the phone number should you wish to be on the program. Don't forget to text the word DONATE to 33777 and help Clark's Christmas Kids let me give you the latest numbers here. There are 12,238 gifts still needed for foster kids in Georgia by texting donate to 33777. I sent back a link to clarkschristmaskids.com. You can help out. There are kids uh, in foster care, more than 10,000. They're not going to have presents unless we help out. Um, my my kids and I, we've adopted some of these and bought presents. Any Anything you can do to help. I know money's tight for a lot of people this time of year. These are kids in foster care. They're not going to have a present unless people help them. So please consider going to ClarksChristmasKids.com or texting the word donate to 33777, and I will uh, I will send you back a link to it, uh, to the website. Now, i got to move on. The consequences of actions, uh, sometimes you got to deal with them, and the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn are dealing with them. Uh, the Board of Trustees at Wharton School of Business, part of uh, Penn, is calling for the ouster of the president of the university. The governor and the center, one of the senators from Pennsylvania have said they have no com, uh, no confidence in her. Uh, John Fetterman, uh, you put that guy in a suit. and Okay, pause and tangent. When John Fetterman had his stroke and was not out to be seen anywhere, a number of people began positing a theory that there was a doppelganger, that the campaign had hired someone who looked like John Fetterman to be on the campaign trail. And after he got to Washington, it continued to persist that it was not really him. And there are some people now who think the doppelganger has totally taken over, and that's why Fetterman, who had been reliably progressive, is so uh, pro-Israel and now has called for securing the border. What's going on with the guy? I personally think it's the suit. You put him in the suit. Uh, but the reality is he, he understands the politics in Pennsylvania, and while you and I may not care for a lot of what he stands for, the community he's from has a large Jewish community, and he understands them. 
and he understands uh, that when you've got the presidents of the Ivy League refusing to denounce calls for genocide, you got a problem on your hands, and they did. Now, uh, McGill from Penn, who smirked through the congressional hearing, came out later with a very somber apology, misunderstanding, no, no, it's really bad, this call for genocide. Uh, President Gay of Harvard has now come out and used the phrase, my truth. I'm sorry, but when a president from a university uses the phrase, my truth, instead of the truth, she is part of the problem. Claudine Gay, part of her statement, I am sorry, words matter. I got caught up in what had become at that point an extended combative exchange about policies and procedures. I failed to convey what is my truth. She went on to say, it makes me sad. She didn't speak her truth. Y'all, someone who uses that phrase, my truth, is a screwed-up critical theorist who does not deserve to be anywhere near power. The woman should be ousted. Uh, What's happening to Harvard as well, there's a big story uh, on grade inflation. Harvard students' average GPAs rose to a peak of 3.8% in 2022, causing college staff and students alike to worry about grade compression. 3.8 GPA, that's the average. In 1950, the average GPA was about 2.55. Massive inflation in the last few years at Harvard. Now, it goes beyond that, of course. We got bigger issues with Harvard, Penn, and MIT. MIT, that president, is still remaining silent. Elise Stefanik has a piece in the Wall Street Journal today. What constitutes bullying and harassment at Harvard? A mandatory Title IX training last year warned all undergraduate students that cis-heterosexism, fat phobia, and using the wrong pronouns qualified as abuse and perpetuated violence on campus. When I asked Harvard President Claudine Gay at a congressional hearing whether calls for the genocide of Jews violated the university's rules on bullying and harassment, she answered, it depends on the context. Pressed further, she said it would qualify, quote, when it crosses into conduct. I received similar answers from the presidents of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the University of Pennsylvania. This lack of moral clarity is shocking. If only it were surprising, in the months since October 7th, the mainstreaming of anti-Jew hate has been on full display at the Poisoned Ivy League and other so-called elite schools, as has the gutless lack of response from university leaders. When 34 Harvard student groups signed a statement that they, quote, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence, Ms. Gay and other Harvard leaders were silent for days. Since then, we've heard reports of Jewish students being spat on, verbally accosted, and in a widely circulated video, physically assaulted. We've seen students march, chanting, there is only one solution, Intifada Revolution, a call for violence against Israel. They follow that with a chant of globalize the Intifada, implying that the hatred of Israel is a hatred of Jews everywhere, including on campus. The Penn, Harvard, and MIT president's refusal to identify these calls for violence as policy violations is revealing, and their attempt to justify it with feigned concern for free speech is insulting. 
Just this year, Harvard placed dead last among 248 universities on the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expressions uh, College Free Speech Rankings, receiving the only score of zero out of 100. Where was Harvard's concern for free speech when it disinvited feminist philosopher Devin Buckley from a colloquium on campus last year because of her views on transgender issues? Where was its concern for free speech in 2020 when it revoked conservative activist Kyle Kashev's acceptance because of social media posts he made as a 16-year-old? Or in 2017 when it revoked admission for 10 incoming freshmen who shared offensive memes on Facebook? Apparently, the same outrage doesn't apply to students sharing anti-Semitic memes on Slack today. It's a problem, very much a problem. Beyond that, though, this is the logical outcome of DEI. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is just a, a way of mainlining and mainstreaming critical theory. Critical theory is a Marxist philosophical viewpoint that started in law schools as a way to understand race-based jurisprudence in the country, as a way to avoid having to grapple with the fallout of the welfare state in the black community, the effects on families, and the breakup of the nuclear household within the black community. Instead, they could claim that it was all about systemic racism woven into the fabric of society and its laws, and that's why there were uh, different outcomes among black and white people in the country and, and per capita violence in the black community versus the white community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's all DEI is excuse making based on the Marxist ideas of critical theory to avoid having to grapple with the fallout of progressive policies in the United States of America. It's now been embraced at institutions of higher learning. And it has taught the whole world can be boiled down into essentially an oppressor-oppressed framework. But it goes beyond that to something very nefarious. It takes individual volition out of the subject. Now, I want to do a very quick theological tangent because it's, I think it's warranted here. So, you know, I'm I'm a Reformed Christian, I, Calvinism. We, we believe in total depravity and uh, the fallen world and there's no free will. And when you talk about that from a theological standpoint, some people get, get well, persnickety about it. And, and all it means is that given the choice between God and sin, mankind is bound to sin. Martin Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will, and it means that at the fall, we were bound to sin, and unless God himself intervenes, we're always going to ultimately go towards sin, not towards God. But we have free volition. Free will talks about your your choice of sin or God. Free volition means your day-to-day -day activities, your day-to-day -day choices, and you are responsible for your day-to-day -day choices. Though you are bound to sin, your will is bound, the bondage of the will, you yourself are absolutely, totally free to decide your life on a daily basis. When you're going to get out of bed, how long you're going to stay out of bed, what socks you put on, do you put on shoes, all, all of your day-to-day -day existence. It's a separate thing. Uh, in in reform speak, free will versus free volition. Uh, others believe in, in just generally blanketed free will, whether you choose God or not, or whether you get out of bed, it's all one thing. Uh, I, I look at it separately. And now I say all of that to say the problem with critical theory and Marxist theory is that it takes free will and free volition out of the entire process of man. 
because you yourself are always bound to your class and category. If you are a black man, you are always bound to be a black man and you are expected to behave in a certain way and you are to always be considered oppressed. And if you ever do rise to the ranks and become a very wealthy, successful person, you are still held to the ranks of the oppressed, but your value in society and what you've done in society and your wealth in society is interpreted as you somehow decided to act out the lived experience of a white person trying to avoid the oppression of white people. That's what critical theory does. It forever binds you to your race, your sex, your your heterosexuality or homosexuality, your, your intrinsic characteristics in categories. You yourself are meaningless to critical theory. You yourself are meaningless to intersectionality. And the result is that individuals and their actions don't matter. So when the pro-Hamas student at Harvard spits on the Jewish student, well, it's a symptom and sign of the oppression that the oppressor has faced. And you have to understand it in that regard, not as an individual behaving badly. And one of the hallmarks of critical theory and this Marxist ideology is the phrase, my truth, which was used by Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, because in critical theory, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Jesus Christ can say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that suggests there must be an absolute, real, knowable truth. But to critical theorists, nope, it's all relative. You have your truth, I have my truth. And if my truth is the truth of a white man who's heterosexual and Christian, well, that truth is inferior to the truth of the black woman president of Harvard University and her truth because she is in the oppressed class. And so when she uses the phrase, my truth, she means to empower her truth over actual truth and the truth of everyone else because she believes she's in a dominant moral position because she's in an oppressed class. And so we must treat what she believes is her truth more stridently, strongly, and and fervently than what the actual truth is. And the actual truth is this woman is a moron of limited scholastic academic activity who got the job because of the class she's in, not because of her competence or character. She's dragged the university down, and she should be driven from the university by the board, but the board's gotten so woke they probably won't do it. The only way to force Harvard and these other schools to change is to stop hiring them. Stop hiring their students. Blacklist the students from the Ivy League, and the Ivy League will change immediately. You can withhold your billions, and they're not going to change because they'll find billions from others. But you stop hiring them and giving them access into your networks, they will change immediately. Those of you who are concerned about this, Are you going to stop hiring from the Ivy League? If you're not, don't expect this to change. It's only going to get worse. You see the students, they're churning out. You know what's coming. You can save yourselves and your businesses by stop hiring now. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint. You want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month available by phone, email, real-time chat. 
They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance. And your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations, regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. They, you got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team. They give you access to HR expertise, and they add personal touches. So even though they're outsourced by your company, they really feel like they're a part of your team. That matters. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast. When you sign up, it'll help my show. Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com, Eric Erickson in the podcast tab. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Y'all, I, I'm I'm going to give y'all a laugh at my expense because I'm I'm still laughing about it. Um, I have a friend of mine who helped get me into fly fishing, and one of the big fly fishing rivers in North Georgia is called the Soque, and S O Q U E E. Well, he told me that he didn't like that river because it's the one he always seems to fall in, and he called it the Soak. Now, you need to understand, I'm not a native of the state of Georgia. And Georgia has a Lafayette, Georgia that they call Lafayette. They have a Cairo, Georgia they call Cairo. They have a Vienna, Georgia they call Vienna. And they have a Houston County they call Houston, among others. So I look at this river, Soque, S-O-Q-U-E-E, and he calls it the Soak. And it is entirely plausible to me that it's the Soak. So I'm on uh, one of my great affiliates this morning. In fact, it is the very first radio station outside of, of uh, Cox Media Group to have picked me up. It's in the beautiful, beautiful Clarksville, Georgia. It is WCHM, 96.7 FM. And I'm on with them, and I'm talking about uh, fly fishing in the Soak. And they say, you mean the Soakwee? And it suddenly dawns on me for the very first time in my entire life that, oh, he called it the Soak because he always gets soaked when he's in the river. That's not actually how you say the name. <laughs> And now suddenly I understand all the people I've talked about fly fishing with and I've talked about fishing the soak and they're like, I have no idea where that river is. And every time I'm thinking, well, you must not fly fish because it's supposed to be famous for fly fishing. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, I'm such an idiot sometimes. I can't believe. And David, if you're listening, I'm talking about you because you're the one who did that to me. Um, uh, my goodness gracious. the Soqui. I'm going to go fish it now, and I'm not going to fall in and get soaked. Uh, <laughs> wow. There's a house for sale right where the Soqui and the Chattahoochee merge, and it's like a $5 million house, and if I could rob a bank, I probably would be tempted to, to buy it. Now, I got to move on. Before I do, I got to tell you about Vision Computers. So it's the holiday season, and you're thinking right now about getting your kid technology, you might want to go check out Vision Computers because they have world-class service. If your kid, you get a computer for your kid and you don't want to be IT support for your kid, Vision Computers can help you. They can build you a desktop. They can build you a laptop. They can build you a gaming PC. If you're a business, they can do workstation, service, you name it. You go to Vision Computers, visioncomputers.com. Anyone nationwide 
can go to Vision. 404 Compute is the phone number. 404 Compute. You call Vision Computers. Tell them I sent you. They're going to save you some money. You have great, great brands. They have great computers. They build them for you, laptops or desktops. If you need high-speed GPUs, you you name it, they can take care of you. But then here's the genius part of it. You call them, 404 Compute. You get your computer from them. Or even if you don't, you've got technology. Vision can fix your technology. For a low annual fee, they can become the IT department for your company. So anyone in your company can call Vision and say, hey, I, I need to know how to do this on my computer. How do I do this thing? Or something's not working. Vision can take care of it faster than a Google search. You get the answers when you call Vision. They take care of you. They save you money. They deliver great product and great tech support. 404 Compute, anyone nationwide, any business nationwide either can call 404 Compute and get Vision to be your computer company. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. I'm 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 going to go down a path on a topic because it's it's a Friday and and I think I can get away with it on a Friday. It is an open line Friday as well, and I'm happy to take your calls eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Tim Alberta, uh, has, the writer. He's he's written a number of locations, the Atlantic in particular. He he kind of his profile of Chris Licht at CNN kind of put the final nail in the coffin for Chris Lick's tenure at, at CNN. I, I know Tim. He's a very nice guy. He's written a book about evangelicalism in America, and he had a, a he had a situation very similar to a situation uh, my family had. His, I think, is inarguably worse. His dad died, and... His it, really his career was was gaining momentum. He's going to be a moderator in a presidential debate, and and his dad, who was a Presbyterian pastor, died, and he went to the funeral, and very rude things were said to Tim Alberta, uh, who's not really a fan of Donald Trump, and of course he's in the media as well, and and people at his father's funeral wanted to rub politics and Trump in Tim Alberta's uh, face, and it it was. Obviously, very offensive to him, and he's he grew up in the church. His dad, a pastor, and he's written a book uh, about problems in evangelicalism. You know, my wife, when she discovered she has this incurable form of lung cancer, back in 2016, I I was was not a Trump fan, um, and she told her Sunday school class or her Bible study, rather, Bible study class. And a woman came up to her after Bible study and told her that she would pray for my wife but also wanted my wife to know that the woman wanted to slap me. Like, drag the politics into it. I'll pray for you, but I want to slap your husband. Uh, Did not strike my wife. Politics makes people do weird, wild things. Rob Reiner, the atheist progressive, is putting out a documentary on Christian nationalism. I, I have strong opinions on, on Christian nationalism. There are 
people who use the term to describe themselves who they're really not in in any sense like they don't want to pass laws in this country that demand that uh, no one can get elected unless they're Christian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some of them do, but those are those are the, the real Christian nationalists. Uh, there are some who just use the term because they know they get a rise out of the left, and this is um, about owning the left as opposed to advancing the kingdom, and, and they've defined their faith by their politics. There are people out there, the, the Theo bros out there who are convinced that unless you're bashing uh, social justice from the pulpit, you are closetly woke. Uh, they're as bad as the wokes who think you got to talk about social justice and George Floyd in every sermon till kingdom come. I, I want to say something, and I really feel compelled to say it. I mentioned this last night. I was doing a uh, event for my seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary. I'm not taking class right now, and I haven't in several years because life got busy. I was for a time doing six hours of radio, rearranging my radio show. I'm, I'm ready to go back and take classes uh, my schedule hopefully settled down next year. I can I can take. I was just taking one, one a week. It's two hours in an evening, once a week. They've been very flexible with me, and I'm ready to go back. I I miss being there and doing it because it, it frankly it's good for my soul. I think. But in all these conversations, the media is having about Christian nationalism and the problems with evangelicals in America and, and the partisanship within evangelical churches. Do you know there are tens of thousands of preachers who are going to get up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And they're going to go on their Saturday to the hospital to visit members of their congregation who are in the hospital. And then they're going to go home and prepare their sermons for Sunday, which they've been working on all week, when they're not at their real job. Do you know a majority of pastors in the United States of America have full-time jobs doing something else? They're not paid to be pastors. It's actually a, an anomaly in this country for pastors to be full-time. If you're a full-time pastor in a church, you're enormously blessed. Now, you know this. You you know what the data shows, that most pastors in the United States pastoring small congregations have full-time jobs elsewhere. This is such my frustration, and I've got friends spread across the spectrum. I've got friends who participate with Rob Reiner. Uh, I, I, I like Tim Albert. I think highly of him. Uh, I've got friends who use the phrase Christian nationalists to describe themselves because they think he gets a rise out of all the right people. We're doing in the conversation every single person who does that sort of stuff on all sides, who participates with the documentaries, who who makes a big deal out of, out of the rise of partisanship within the Evangelical Church of America. I think every single one of them across the board are doing a terrible disservice because the overwhelming majority of the pastors of this country will never be known. They will never be famous. They will never write books. They will never have their 15 minutes of fame on the internet. They will never have their sermons go viral. They will go to the nursing homes and the hospitals and their day job at the office, and they'll stand in a pulpit on Sunday and try to make sure people know that God is real and, and they don't have to worry, put their, put their trust in Jesus. They will go back to their families that afternoon, 
haggard and weary from the world. They will be attacked by members of the congregation because they said or did not say that one particular thing a member of the congregation wanted them to say, or the hymn was the wrong hymn and they should have used a different hymn or a different version of the hymn, or why not try something modern or why something modern instead of something old? Why can't you go back to the old? They will deal with all of that and the heckling from their own congregation, and then they'll have to go tune into Rob Reiner's video where he's lecturing people about the threat of Christian nationalism in America, where he paints with the broadest brush possible to damnably indict pretty much every Christian in America as something that should not be. And then he'll deal with the Theo bros who have decided because his sermon didn't talk about social justice, he must be a closet woke and should be purged from the pulpit. We do these people such a disservice. I'm mindful of this conversation more so than most right now because I have been interviewing pastors for my Christmas show. And I I don't really talk uh, deep theology. Uh, What I have talked about is pastoral care during this holiday season because of the number of people who struggle with depression and the like. Uh, How do you as a pastor deal with that? How do you talk to people about depression? How do you talk to your congregation struggling to recreate that precious memory that they had and, and it draws drives them to despair at the holiday season because they can't recreate it personally, uh, perfectly? How do you do that? Things like that. But I was thinking about it because I've, I've never interviewed my pastor before because I was afraid that it could attract hate mail to the church, but people have long figured out where I go to church. And my church and my seminary both get hate mail about me. In fact, uh, the the president of of Reformed Theological in Atlanta last night at this event said he's frequently gotten, I shouldn't say frequently, about a dozen times or so, gotten hate mail about your student. And he, he says, I can very confidently tell him you're not a student right now. But they get the hate mail. My pastor has gotten people, including other pastors who took issues with things I said, call my pastor and tries to drag him into the fight. I'm finally like, you know, Chip, I, I, I can finally, I feel comfortable interviewing you because at this point you're getting the hate mail anyway. But I also interviewed the pastor I grew up with. His name is Joe Neesom, Dr. Joe Neesom. And he has been the pastor of the church I grew up in in rural Louisiana, First Baptist Church of Jackson, Louisiana. He's been the pastor since 1983 when I was in third grade, and he is still the pastor of that church. I remember when he and his family came. I remember when his wife was there. His wife passed away a number of years ago from cancer, and he's still there. And now his daughters are there, and his grandkids provide the music where his wife once provided the music. And he is a brilliant theologian, y'all. He is brilliant. My wife considers him gold standard of, of preacher. She, she hears him. Uh, he never, I have never heard him do a sermon where he does not tie the Old Testament and New Testament together. He does expository preaching line by line through the Bible. I'm, I'm sure he's gone from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end of Revelation. And he's never going to get anything named after him other than possibly family. He's not going to write the bestsellers that you're going to read at the Christian college. He's not going to be the keynote speaker at the Evangelical Theological Society. But he's brilliant. 
absolutely brilliant. He's got a wonderful singing voice too. And he's been the pastor there since 1983, a rural church in rural Louisiana that has seen the ebbs and flows of congregations and now growing again as other pastors in the area have decided to go all in on social justice and and things like that. And he's just an expository preacher, line by line of the Bible. He's never going to get the credit. He would be blasted absolutely as a Christian nationalist in the Rob Reiner movie because he believes there's a role for Christians in politics, people to be guided by their faith and faith in Christ, to to be in politics. And and he's, he's totally fine with that. But he's not someone who believes that this country needs to tear up the Constitution and start over in, in some way where only Christians can get elected to Congress and things like that, which is what Christian, actual Christian nationalists believe. And to have people in the evangelical community collaborating uh, to, to essentially smear evangelicals because there's no nuance when these things are done. There's no what about the 15, 20, 30, 100,000 pastors out there who have day, t- day jobs and work on the weekends to pastor churches and go to hospitals and visit the sick. There's no focus on the small rural church in Louisiana where the pastor's been there since 1983 who shepherds that flock as best he can. But there's no nuance on the other side issue of the Theo bros who are like, well, if you're not talking about the contemporary immediate issue of our time and doing it to attack the wokes and drag politics into it, you might be a closet social justice warrior. We need to purge you too. There's no winning on either side of that. Too many people on both sides have been radicalized by the people they hate. Too many people have been radicalized by the people who hate them. And too many people are now using their bully pulpits to define, redefine, or smear an entire group of people of faith that they either love or hate. And on the day-to-day basis, there's the guy who's going to get up in the morning and go to the hospital and pray with his congregant and then go work on a sermon He's going to be there on Sunday, and then on Monday through Friday, he's going to be at a day job somewhere in an office, a mechanic shop, on a farm, plowing a field. And all of that gets overshadowed by so much of the conversation right now that we're having in the country uh, when it comes to religion and politics, when it comes to Christians and politics. And I just got to say, shame on all of you, not not you, the car, not not you, the audience. But those of you, the Theo bros who are out there screaming that everything is woke and we got to fight back and, and let's go Christian nationalist, rah. And shame on those of you who just can't nuance and point out the fact that the overwhelming majority of Christians in this country and people in the pulpit, they're not out there engaged in, in diving into the politics of the day in, in ways that are offensive to Scripture. Most of them are just trying to get by the day. You've got the moms who have their babies crying, and they just need to change the diaper, feed the baby, and put it down for a nap. You have the dads who are just working and then doing after-school sports, and you got the pastors who are just trying to make sure that people make it through the week and know at the end of the day that God is real and everything's going to be okay. And instead, what you've done, all sides on this, have made it about yourselves and your personal grievances about the people who don't like you, and it's time for you to go after them. And it's happening on both sides. Absolutely. The Theo bros and the people who've decided that there's something rotten in evangelicalism. And meanwhile, it is that evangelical pastor who's completely ignorant of the entire conversation, who's going to be tarred and feathered by others because he is a pastor, 
But tomorrow morning, he's going to be doing what none of you are doing, going to the hospital to pray with someone who's about to die. That matters most. I'll get off my soapbox now and move on, but first to tell you Patriot Mobile. That's I need to tell you about Patriot Mobile. They are funding and growing the conservative causes you care about, and they're doing it by growing their profits. And when they grow their profits, they don't cash out. They cash into the conservative movement. They fund the pro-life community. They fund the Second Amendment movement. They fund a lot of conservative organizations and conservative candidates running at the local level, taking back school boards, taking back city councils. And the way they do it is is they just ask you to bring your business to them. So you move your business to PatriotMobile.com. You get guaranteed great service in return using the same cell towers you're probably already using. You can even take your existing phone number to them if you want. And then as the profits grow, their funding grows. You can call them at 972-PATRIOT if you want. Tell them I sent you get free activation with my name. Have 100% U.S.-based customer service. Or go to PatriotMobile.com. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. That's the landing page for me. So I take credit for you moving to them. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Move your cell phone business to them. They save you some money. And then as their profits grow, they're giving to the conservative causes you care about grow. It's a great way for you to have added impact in the conservative movement. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, Gavin Newsom, he just floated himself out there the other day with the DeSantis debate, made all sorts of claims. It turns out that California's budget deficit is soaring. Uh, it's going to go up. The fiscal recklessness of that state just continues to know no bounds and They think they can just keep taxing people and taxing people and taxing people. Uh, They're facing a record $68 billion budget deficit in California, according to a nonpartisan legislative analysis. That's not good. And yet, is anybody really talking about it out there? I mean, it's out there in the media and the Associated Press, but... How many people really care after, after it goes on TV and talks about how great California is? A $68 billion budget deficit, uh, state officials announced Thursday, forcing hard choices for Gavin Newsom in his final term. The nation's most populous state's been struggling since last year because of the rising prices of most goods and services. It's now much more expensive for people and businesses to borrow money, meaning fewer people are buying homes and fewer businesses are hiring workers, and that means fewer tax collections for the state. Um, the fiscal recklessness of the progressives in California is beginning to catch up with them. And of course, they will work to protect Gavin Newsom, who really is hoping that Joe Biden steps aside so he can run. Because I don't think Gavin Newsom is going to be relevant to the conversation by 2028. He's term limited. He's going to be out. He's going to have to do something, but he's too far left. and He's too tied to California, and that's not going to go well for him. Good riddance to him. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.